God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27? We're going to be finishing up uh, chapter 27 of the book of Genesis today. And that's where we're going to be. And we'll put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. So today I'd like to talk to you about the clay and the creator. You know, many people try to get ahead in life by stepping on other people. Now, what I mean by that is they lie and deceive others in seeking to have power over others or to unethically gain wealth from others. Now, simply being wealthy is not a sin. Remember that. Just because a person is wealthy doesn't mean that they got that wealth dishonestly. Many people get wealth, most people get wealth in honest ways. And some people assume that if someone else is wealthy, well, they must have gotten that wealth by being dishonest or somehow hurting other people. But that's not true. There are exceptions, of course, and there's always some evil people out there that try to take advantage of other people. But there's many people who are wealthy who really try to do the right thing in life. There's many righteous men and women of integrity and honesty who have been blessed with wealth. And if you're jealous of someone who is wealthy, then the real sinner is you. Because according to the Bible, jealousy and envy are sins. When you envy what someone else has, when you think that you should have it instead, that's sin according to the Bible. But the ones who lie and deceive to get power or to maintain power or to gain wealth, who are not acting righteously, those are the ones who are in sin. But Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law can come down to this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to keep the law, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to another. And then you're loving God with all that you have and you're loving the other person as yourself. And then you're going to be safe from trying to take advantage of other people and you won't be lying and deceiving other people. But if you love others as yourself, you're doing good to other people. And when you do this, you're doing what the law requires. Others who try to deceive and con people are not loving others. They're hurting others, in fact. They envy and they steal and they take advantage of others. And they do this because they think of themselves as somehow better than everybody else, more deserving and more worthy of those riches than someone else. In their own mind, they're wiser and smarter than a hundred other people. But when their plans fall apart, consequences for their deceptions fall upon them and their lives are broken. Everything falls apart and they end up with nothing. In this humbled condition, they may start thinking about their sins. They may feel regret for taking advantage of others as they did. And in their hearts, they may even seek to find the things that really matter in life, the things of God. And then they cry out to God for help, and He answers them. 
And that's what our story today is about. Let's look at Genesis 27, starting at verse 34. Now you may remember that last week we went all the way from Genesis 27 verse 1 through verse 34, verse 33 at that time. And basically what had happened was Jacob had lied to his father Isaac, Isaac, as you would say in English, and tried to convince his father Isaac that he was really Esau because Isaac wanted to bless Esau. Isaac was now old. He couldn't see hardly at all, and he couldn't tell his two sons apart. And so Jacob's mother, Rebekah, who was also Esau's mother, helped Jacob look like and feel like and even smell like Esau. And Jacob bought into the lie. He was part of the lie. Uh, she came to him. She said, okay, this is what you're going to do. So you get the blessing of the firstborn instead. And what was the blessing of the firstborn? Well, simply this. The firstborn got twice as much inheritance as the uh, person who was under him or younger than him. And so we see this, that now Jacob is trying to steal the inheritance from his brother Esau. And so he tries to deceive his father Isaac. And he puts all his goat skin, hair on his arms and on the back of his neck because his brother Esau was a hairy man, but Jacob was smooth. And so he tried to convince Isaac, his father, that he was really Esau. Isaac wanted to bless Esau. Oddly enough, God had told Rebekah, Isaac's wife, that the younger would be the greater and that the older would serve the younger. Well, that would have meant that Esau would be serving Jacob instead. So Isaac didn't like the sound of that. He liked Esau because he was a hunter and he would bring all of this game back in that he had hunted for and he would make it into this real tasty stew and soup and food and Isaac really liked the food so he was going to bless Esau instead of Jacob. Whereas God would say that God said that Jacob was going to be the one that was blessed more than Esau and that Esau would be serving him. So Isaac apparently knew that Jacob was supposed to be the one that was blessed, but then he goes about trying to bless Esau instead. So there he is trying to do something opposite of what God wanted to do. There was Jacob lying and telling his father that he was really his brother. There was the mother putting this whole plan together. And there was Esau who had sold his own birthright for a bowl of soup in a previous chapter. As we study through the book of Genesis, you would think this is a real dysfunctional family. But like we said last week, it just goes to show you that God can use people who aren't perfect. So if you're in a family that's not perfect and they see you as not perfect and you've had your own sins and problems in the past, well, welcome to the kingdom of God. Because when you believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord, God forgives all those sins and welcomes you into his kingdom. And gives you everlasting life. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. It's not about what you give him. It's about what he's given you. It's not about your love for him even. It's about his love for you. Now we see that as we notice God's love for us, it inspires us to love him in return. That's real love. You're not loving because you're being told you must love. You're loving because you're inspired to return that love 
to the Father who gave His only begotten Son so that you might be with Him. And the Son loves you, and the Father loves you, and you're welcome into the kingdom of heaven. So now we start up from where we left off last week in chapter 27. And it says in verse 34, When Esau heard the words of his father, that Isaac telling him, that I've already blessed your brother. Then it says Esau heard these words of his father, and he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. Verse 35. But he said to him, Your brother came with deceit, and he's already taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Yaakov or Jacob, which means supplanter or deceiver? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Actually, Esau, no, you sold him the birthright because you wanted a bowl of soup instead of your birthright. But anyway, Esau is saying he took away my birthright. Now look, he's even taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me, he says to his father? Then Isaac answered him in verse 37, and he said to Esau, Indeed, I've made him your master, and all of his brethren I've given to him as servants. With grain and wine I've sustained him, and what shall I do for you now, my son? You see, Isaac believed that when he said this blessing, God was going to do everything he said. And that's the way the godly men would say the blessing to the kids. Later in their lives, as the father got closer to death, he wanted to bless the kids. So he would speak these things into the kid's life. And we're saying, kid, Esau is now a full-grown man. He's, he's well matured in age, but his father is getting close to death. And so it says in verse 38, Esau said to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he cried, he wept. Verse 39, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Okay, well, here we go. And says, Behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of the heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass that when you become restless, that you'll break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob, it said in verse 41, because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, and then I will kill Jacob. And so we see these verses, and Esau really hated Jacob because he stole his blessing. He says, the days of the mourning for my father. That simply means that my father is close to death. And after the, they die in Israel, you have a period of seven days of mourning for those who have passed away. And Esau is saying, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then after that I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. He didn't want his father to see what he was going to do to Jacob, but he was planning on killing his brother Jacob. He was planning this evil. Now, as we went through verse 42, you see that Jacob was wrong to sell his brother food to keep him alive in the previous chapter. He should have fed his brother because he was hungry. But instead, he insisted on Esau giving him something in exchange for this bowl of soup. That's not very godly. godly uh, God feeds all of the creatures on earth every day. He takes care of them all. 
He wants us to take care of our brothers and sisters who were made in the image of God. But Esau had so little regard for his birthright that he sold it for a bowl of soup from Jacob. It wasn't Jacob's fault. Yeah, Jacob wasn't being very loving. He wasn't loving the others by having him buy food to keep himself alive. Jacob should have given him that food for free and should have taken pleasure in helping his brother out. Instead, he required Esau to sell him his birthright or he wouldn't give him any food. And then, J and then Esau was so faint and weary he might have fainted at that time. But Esau, on the other hand, was only focused on his fleshly needs for the moment. He didn't seem to care at all about the things of God. So we see here that Esau is letting his emotions and his fleshly nature rule his life. He was living like an animal. I'm hungry, so give me food. I don't care about this birthright thing. It doesn't mean anything to me. That's a spiritual thing. I'm here for this life. I'm here for the flesh. That's basically how he was thinking. And this carnal mind, as they always do, leads him to think even more evil thoughts. Now he saw, instead of just giving away his birthright, not even thinking about spiritual things, now he saw is thinking about even killing his brother. And so we look at the scriptures, and before we leave these verses, I want to talk again about the Jewish blessing that we spoke about last week. Remember, we went into a great amount of detail about how the Jewish blessing is a time of life where the father, the patriarch of the family, is blessing his children and telling them what they mean to him. He's blessing them for who they were, for who they are now, and for who that child will become. He's speaking prophetically about their future. And then he's talking to them about how God would bless them in the future. But first he tells them who they've been. He recounts to them what a blessing that they have been as they were growing up. And he says this. That's the first element. The second element is he talks about how they're a blessing to him now at this stage in life. And then he prophetically tells them what the child will be and what the child will become and things that are going to happen later in the child's life. And then he tells them how God is going to bless them in the future. The four elements of the Jewish blessing. Now maybe you're saying, well, I never had a father or a grandfather who would pronounce a blessing on me. I know that in many families today that's true. But still, you can have a loving father give you that blessing over your life. Your heavenly Father is just waiting to bless you. And He'll produce blessing upon your life and give you direction in life. And He'll place His hand tenderly upon you and lead you along the way anytime you choose to come into His presence. He wants to bless you. Each of us have a, have a heavenly Father who always is there for us, who is as close to us as a simple prayer. May God give you wisdom to bless your own kids as you declare to them who they are. Reveal to them what they can be and declare to them who God is and how much He loves them and how much He will be there for them in the future. And then may God give us the desire to continually seek God's blessing for our own lives. Now let's continue in verse 42. It said, in the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, the mother. 
And she sent and she called Yaakov, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Verse 30, 43 then says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to your brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him in stealing that blessing. Then I will send and bring you back from there. Why should I be bereaved of both of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Het, or Heth as you would say in your English Bible. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Het, like these who were of the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now what's going on here is remember that Rebekah was the one who came up with the plan for Jacob to deceive Isaac all along. She was the one that convinced Jacob to lie to his father and instead say that he was Esau and not Jacob. But even though Jacob first questioned her plan and he was basically not contending with, I'm not going to do that, that's dishonest. He wasn't saying that. He was basically saying, well, that won't work because I'm smooth and my brother is hairy and my father will catch me in my lie by seeing that I'm deceiving him. So she said, don't worry, I've got that covered. She came up with a uh, skin of the kid goat with the hair on it, put it on the back of his arms and, and hands and on the back of his neck. So his father couldn't see, remember. And when he felt the hands and felt the back of the neck, he felt that it was Esau instead. And so he would bless him. But if he had gone in there without the hair on his arms and hands and back of his neck, then his father would have seen that that's not Esau. Esau's got hair on the back of his arms and hands and neck and everything. And so he would have caught Jacob in the lie. Well, Jacob wasn't sad that he lied to his father. He just wanted to make sure he didn't get caught. That was the only thing that mattered to him. But even though Jacob first questioned Rebekah's plan, he finally gave in and he became part of the lie. But now Rebekah is faced with the fact that Esau may be trying to kill Jacob. So she tells Yaakov, go away to the land of her relatives, Laban. But then she tells Isaac that the wives of Esau, who were from the Canaanites, were a grief to her. And she insists that Isaac send Jacob away to take a wife from her people instead. It seems the real reason for sending Yaakov away is to protect him from Esau, his brother. But she had to lie and be deceptive again. And try to tell her husband that it was because of the wives that Esau took from the Canaanites. And that was why she wanted Jacob to go away to this other place and get a bride for himself from their family. So it didn't seem like that was really honest either. It seems like she's not really being a woman of integrity at this point. And so this is a short chapter. And we just finished chapter 27. But basically, we're going to go right now into chapter 28. It's a very short chapter. We're going to go through this really quickly. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 28 of the book of Genesis that Isaac then called Yaakov and he blessed him. And he charged him and he said to him, You will not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. 
Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Beuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now, Jacob was listening to this, and it must have seemed a little strange because here's Isaac, who was going to bless Esau instead, thought he was blessing Esau instead, but apparently Isaac's had a change of heart. When he sees that Jacob really got the blessing, Esau didn't, he's got to be thinking, well, even though Jacob was dishonest, I knew that I was supposed to bless Jacob instead, but God caught him. And now it seems like he's resigned himself to the will of God. And so he calls Jacob in and he blesses him instead and said, don't take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you, Isaac is now saying to Yaakov, knowing that it's Yaakov, may God bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of people and give you the blessings of Abraham to you, and your descendants with you, he says, now to Jacob, making sure that he knows, I'm not talking to Esau now. I know that this is what God wants to do. May God give you the blessings of Abraham. And to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you're a stranger. All this he's saying to Jacob now, trying to repent now and do the right thing after trying to bless the wrong one. He's now blessing the right one. And he says that God, that you may inherit the land in which you're a stranger, which God gave to Abraham, your grandfather. So in verse 5 says, So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Betuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now as you look at this, Isaac sees, like we said, that he was in the wrong place before when he was trying to bless the wrong son. He knew about it. God had told Rebecca, they had probably talked about this over and over again, how the younger would be the blessed one and the older would serve the younger. And here was Isaac trying to bless the wrong one. And it was like he, he was trying to bless him with the blessings of God. Now think about that. He was trying to bless him with the blessings of God. He knew that God would be watching over everything, but apparently back then he just thought that God would just not be able to do anything about it. He probably thought, well, it's going to be the way that I say it's going to be, and God has to do it that way because I said it's got to be that way. So many people today, right? Word of faith movement. Put your money in, in Jesus' name, press the selection that you want, and you treat God as a vending machine and think that He's got to give you what you ask for because you put your money in, in Jesus' name, and you ask for what you want. That's not God. God is wise, and He's a loving Heavenly Father. He's not going to give you something that's second best or anything that's going to hurt you. He's going to give you what's best for you. And if you think you're smarter than God, and you insist on Him giving you what you want, you're going to find sadness and sorrow. Because many times you don't know that what you're asking for is going to turn out to be a curse for you instead of a blessing. Better to let God choose your blessings. He's already proven His love for you on the cross of Calvary. And He's all-powerful. Nothing, no one can stop Him from blessing you. 
and he can give you what's the very, very best for you. And he started by giving you his life so that your sins would be forgiven and you would have everlasting life with him in heaven forever. Why not trust him to give you these blessings? Don't try to make him give you what you think you need. Trust him instead. Now Isaac sees the error of his ways. And he sends Jacob away to the relative to find a wife. Then we continue on in verse 6. It says, Esau saw that Isaac, his father, had blessed Jacob, sent him away to Padanaram to take for himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave them the charge, don't take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. Well, Esau had taken wives from the daughters of the Canaanites. So now he sees that his father and his mother don't like that. In verse 7, and he also saw that Yaakov had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of the Canaanites did not please his father, as we said. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaiot, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. So here we see Esau is trying to please his parents. He heard that they were disappointed with the wives that he had chosen, daughters of the Canaanites, and hearing that they sent Yaakov away to their relatives to find a wife, he said, oh, well, they want to get wives from our relatives. Esau goes to his relative, Ishmael. Now, remember, that Ishmael was the half-son of Abraham. So Abraham was Esau and Yaakov's grandfather, and Ishmael was the half-son. Isaac was his miracle child, the full son from both Sarah and from Abraham, but Ishmael was fathered by Abraham, but the mother was Hagar the Egyptian maid because at that time Sarah could not have children. And so Esau hears this and go, and I'll go to my relatives, Ishmael, our other relatives, Ishmael, and I'll find a wife from there that would be acceptable to my parents. Then verse 10 says, Now Yaakov went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Verse 11, So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. Didn't have street lights, didn't have streets. He was on his way through the wilderness. Sun had set. You can't see anymore. Better to set up camp and sleep there for the night. And it says he took one of the stones in verse 11. He took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head. And he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached all the way to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Then in verse 15, it continues, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. 
Then it says in verse 16, Then Yaakov awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Yaakov is very impressed with this dream that God gave him. But now Yaakov noticed something. Yaakov had not been a good person, remember? He had refused to give his hungry brother food unless he gave him his birthright first. And then he lied to his father, telling his father that he was Esau instead of Jacob. And he lied so that he could steal the blessing. Didn't give a hungry person food. Lied to his father and lied to his father so that he could steal something, steal the blessing that his father would give to Esau otherwise. And now Jacob is running for his life because his brother Esau is very angry and wants to kill him. Now back home, Yaakov had a really nice place to live in. He had a very comfortable bed to sleep in. He had good food to eat. He was a greatly respected man in the camp of hundreds of people, even at the time of Abraham, his grandfather. There were at least 318 people that had joined Abraham and Sarah and served Abraham. It's only been increasing since then. Hundreds of people respected who Yaakov was, knew that he was the heir to Isaac, one of the heirs. And now he's out in the middle of nowhere. Because of his sins, he was in the middle of nowhere, trying to find a rock to lay his head on for the night. A rock, not a soft, comfortable pillow, not shape memory foam, a rock sleeping in the dirt with all the insects and creatures of the night around him, with just the minimum food needed to keep him alive. His sins had broken his life. His life was just a heap of pieces with no form or purpose, no reason, no direction. No doubt, Yaakov lay there trying to get comfortable on that rock as he tried to lay his head on it, thinking about how everything in his life was now broken is now useless, just broken pieces in life. But like clay, God can take those broken pieces and shape them into something new, something beautiful, something useful, something that has purpose. You see, our lives are like the clay, and God is the potter who forms the clay. The broken pieces of your life are like a big clump of clay, nothing really, just clay. God is the creator. In the beginning, he took nothing and spoke it into everything. And he can take your nothing and turn it into something beautiful. He looks past your failures. Have you noticed that? And he sees your future. He looks beyond who you've been and he sees who you can be. He may have, you may have really messed up your life, but God can fix it up. And he loves you more than you can imagine. You may have given up on yourself, but God will never give up on you. He gave his own life to reach you and to save you and to bring you to himself. And if you'll cry out to him and recognize your own sins and failures, he'll take those broken pieces and he'll tenderly mold them and shape them into something beautiful. Now look at God, how he came to Yaakov. He wasn't angry about all those things that Yaakov had done, about lying to his father. 
about trying to steal the blessing, about not feeding his brother when he was hungry. God wasn't angry about all those things. He did not come to rebuke Yaakov. He wanted to repair Yaakov. He looked past Yaakov's problems and he saw Yaakov's potential. He looked beyond the difficulty and he saw deliverance. And God will also take your life and make everything new. Yaakov was not only running away from the mess that he had made, he was confronted with what his life had become so quickly. In his mind, he recognized that all of this he had brought upon himself and that he had only himself to blame. But God wasn't interested in who was to blame. No, God was interested in who Yaakov would become. He was interested in molding Yaakov into a new person. Yaakov was thinking about his lie, but God was thinking about his life. This night was a turning point in Yaakov's life. He had met the living God, the creator of all things. His life was now forever changed, and soon even his name would be changed from Yaakov, which meant deceiver, to a new name that God would give him, to the name Israel, which means governed by God. Everything now was new, and over time Yaakov would be broken down and rebuilt by God, humbled. He would meet other people who would deceive him like he had deceived others in the past. Then he would understand that the hurt that the deception could bring and he would feel remorse for trying to deceive others. He would always seek from that point on to be a man of integrity, a man of truth. Then in verse 18, as we finish the last verses in our message today, it says, Then Yaakov rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head. <laughs> he had seen the Lord, and the Lord had given them this message. Now that stone that was so uncomfortable at night, he's making it as an altar. He rose early in the morning, it said in verse 18, and took the stone that he had put at his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. Now I know your English Bible says Bethel. That's fine if you want to pronounce it that way. In Hebrew, remember, they don't have the TH sound like the or those or these. They don't have that sound, but you pronounce the T as T instead. So Beit El is how you would say that. Well, Beit means place or house. El is a shortened way for saying God. So Yaakov named the place Beit El, but meant this was a place of God because he had seen the Lord there. The name of the city had previously been, as it says in verse 19, Luz. Now in verse 20, we continue and it says, Then Yaakov made a vow saying, I want you to pay attention to this. Then Yaakov made a vow saying, If God will be with me, and if he will keep me in the way that I'm going and give me bread to eat, clothing to put on, Verse 21, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's home, his house. And of all that you give me, he's saying now to the Lord, I will give a tenth to you. Now, in these closing verses for this chapter, it's interesting that Jacob is thinking like many people today think. Here's what I'm saying. He's trying to negotiate with God, saying, God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. Oh, 
we turn it around, don't we? We don't say exactly those words. We go, God, if you'll give me what I'm asking for, then I'll start going to church. I'll read my Bible. I'll start praying. You're negotiating with God. Jacob was doing the same thing. Jacob didn't understand the heart of God. He didn't understand the concept of grace, that you can't buy God's favor. You're not to negotiate with God. And by the way, you don't need to. God's heart is far more loving and full of grace and mercy than yours. Sure, Yaakov had no doubt looked up at the night sky before where he was with his parents there and seen the multitude of stars, the wonders that God had created in the night sky far away from any city lights because they didn't have street lights then, as we said. And he knew that there was a God. No doubt he had heard the stories about the promises that God had made to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. But Yaakov didn't really understand the heart of God. He didn't understand that God doesn't have to be persuaded to be good. God is good. Yaakov was offering what he could to try to persuade God to provide him food, clothing, a safe journey, and to be with him and to bring him back safely to his family. But God already desires to keep us, to protect us, and direct our paths. And over time, Jacob will see that God is good and that God is faithful. You don't have to negotiate with Him and sign a contract with Him. God is good because God is good. God is faithful because God is faithful. You don't have to persuade him. You don't have to have a contract telling him and reminding him, God, you've got to be good to me because God is and has always been good. And he loves you. And we have God's word from the scriptures that tell us he will never leave us nor forsake us. He loves you and you can trust him to guide you, to keep you, and to provide for you in life. And to see you safely through it all and bring you into his glorious kingdom. So many times in life, as we go through life, of course, we have to negotiate with other people. And the whole economy is built on, you give me this and I'll give you this much money. You do this for me and I'll do this for you. But you can't bring those things before the throne of God. First of all, God owns everything. All creation belongs to Him. He made all things. All things are for Him and through Him and to Him and by Him. He doesn't need anything that you could give Him. And you couldn't find anything that He doesn't already own to give Him. Because it all belongs to Him. Every atom of the universe, every atom of your being. By the way, even your life. But He's a gentleman in that He's asking you to make the choice to give him your life. And once you see his love, like I said, it inspires you to love him in return. This is the heart of God that we serve. He's given you every reason to return that love. And if you see that God has loved you greatly, it inspires you to love him greatly in return, you see. He wants to see you safely through this life and bring you into His glorious kingdom, into His presence, where you will be with Him in amazing, amazing kingdom throughout eternity with things that you can only even imagine today and even can't imagine most of them. Far beyond all your thoughts, 
higher are his ways than your ways? Far higher are his thoughts than your thoughts? Why don't you give him your life today? Right now, if you call out to him, he'll hear you cry. And he'll answer you and he'll rescue you from the darkness that you're in. He'll shine his light on your heart and you'll be given a new life. It's just that simple. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away. Just like he didn't confront Jacob with all the sins. Well, why did you do this to your brother? Why did you lie to your father? He just came to him and says, I'm the Lord God. I'm going to bless you. And his presence inspired Jacob so much that Jacob's life was forever changed. He didn't have to convict or condemn Jacob. He wanted to save Yaakov. He saw God's love and he wanted to return that love by serving the Lord. Let God make you new, give you a new start, everlasting life in heaven. All of that's guaranteed by God himself. Now I want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as Messiah and Lord today and receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something like this, and if you like, you just repeat it after me. The important thing is that you mean it in your heart. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I do believe on your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that He's the Lord. I believe that He's the Messiah. Please forgive all my sins, Lord. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that He's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Remember to spend time in prayer to Him every day. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.